Welcome to the Grace Point Assembly of God podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit gphixon.com. Now let's get into a powerful message for your life from God's Word. Well, I want to welcome you this morning to Grace Point. As Terry says, this is my one time a year that I come up here, and I don't take it lightly. I don't ever want y'all to think I come up here and I just do it and don't give it a lot of thought about what to say. And I come up here with trembling because what I do know is I don't want to get it wrong. I have one time to get it right. And I don't ever want to take advantage of the opportunity that I'm given. Thank you for believing in me, honey, and for encouraging me even when I don't want to do certain things. Because I also know, even though in the natural I don't want to do some things, it's also very much a privilege. And um, because it is a privilege, I humbly submit to doing it. Today is National AG Women's Day. Um, I think this year I am more excited than all the past years. Normally they always do some kind of theme for the year. And um, they'll give you like maybe an outline of whatever the message is or whatever. And I've really um, taken the message sometimes and I've gone in the direction they wanted me to go. And sometimes God has tweaked it and I've gone in another direction. And um, what I find that God really shared with me this year is that National WM Day or National AG Women's Day is not just nationally, but it's internationally. So this morning, the the theme um, that the the district or the nation has for our women is not only being preached in this pulpit, but it's going to be preached in pulpits across the country and also internationally. And I was telling Jamie, I said, having been a NICU nurse, there's something that I always loved about being a NICU nurse, and it was continuity of care. I think that there's something about continuity of care, and what I was seeing in this is that throughout churches, hundreds and maybe even thousands of churches today, the same message is being preached to the same people. And God's message is bringing some continuity of what what he wants to say to his church this morning. And that excites me because we are all going to be in one accord. So I do want to pray right now again. You know, we can't pray too much. But I do want to pray and I want you to join me to pray for all of those other ladies that are either in the pulpit this moment or that are going to be in the pulpit. We're all in different time zones. Some of them are just waking up. And they're nervous or they're scared or some of them, like me, God is still tweaking their message and they're like, okay, God, what are you going to do? So I just want you to agree with me in prayer that the Holy Spirit would move in their congregations as he's going to move in ours this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for just being able to move. We ask you right now to move in our congregation, in our lives, Father God, each individual lives that we would have ears that would hear what you would have to say to us individually. Father, I pray for every single lady that is going to be filling the pulpits across this country and internationally today. Father God, bringing a message 
that you have for them to share with their congregations. I ask for boldness. I ask that they would be faithful in what you have given to them. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would go before them, that it would touch the lives of the people that are going to hear the message, and that, Lord, you would give them the words to speak, Father God, and they would do it without hesitation and without any fear, Father God, knowing that you have walked before them. And, Lord, we're going to expect great results, Father God, for the kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So the theme for the AG Women's this year is um, entrusted with treasure. Now, there was three thoughts when I read this thing. One was, hmm, normally we have a one-word theme, and the one-word theme is very positive, like adored. You know, everybody likes to be adored, redeemed. We all like being, you know, the thought of God redeeming us. Or maybe something like a beautiful life. Oh, that sounds... And so I read Entrusted with Treasure, and I will tell you, for those that don't know, I know that you two know back there, I am not a movie person, right? I've told you guys this. Terry is the movie person, and so as soon as I read Entrusted with Treasure, all I could think of was Indiana Jones. <laughs> I was like, Entrusted with Treasure, okay. Um, honey, that may be the only time I really think about a movie. <laughs> That's it. So I was like... Oh, man, you know, this is not going to be easy. And I think I told a couple people, I was like, you know, this theme this year is really a little bit more, you know, not Genesis, oh, get me all excited type thing. Because then I thought about, my third thought was about entrusted with treasure was this. One is when you're entrusted with something, it means there's work involved. Right? And then a treasure (laughs) means that it's something important. So then it's like, oh, gosh. There's going to be work involved in safeguarding something that really needs to be safeguarded because it's a treasure. So I would be remiss, honey, if I did not say today that my message is 10 pages long. I know. I was, you thought I had slid over that because I didn't do it in order. But anyways, um, for those that don't know, I always put the fear of God into him. And Brenda Miller is my favorite fan because she said, you know, Janice, you just do whatever you want to do. She said, you've got a year. She said for them to forget whatever or, you know, for Grace to be there for next year. And Terry was like, okay, I know you've got a baby shower at 2 o'clock, so maybe we'll be out by 2. And I was like, maybe. So anyways, but get back to... Um, Entrusted with treasure. So today we're going to talk again about one of our Bible heroes. And I know the last couple of years we've talked about a couple of them. Um, but this year we're going to talk about Daniel and how he was entrusted with treasure. Um, we find that he was successful in holding true to all of his beliefs, no matter what he was faced with. And he lived in very similar times as we did today, but he was able to guard the treasure that God gave him. And we're going to talk about some characteristics and some things that he did. Um, But, you know, I never really studied him before today. Now, I know I'm like the pastor's wife and is supposed to, like, know everything. And, you know, because everybody always thinks that about whatever, you know. Or I've been a Christian for, you know, 30 years, so I should, you know, know everything. Well, yeah, I know that Dana was in the dying's den, you know. And I know about a Daniel fast because our husband, my husband does one every January. And I know about the story about the writing on the wall. But what I'm talking about is I never studied Daniel. And I never studied his entirety of his life. And I don't know if you guys have or if you've just picked apart little things in his life. But today we're going to talk about a few things that we could take about 
his whole life. And we can apply it today because he lived in a time that was very similar to what we're living in today. And um, there are going to be four characteristics that I'm going to be talking about that's really going to um, pinpoint into how we can apply those to our lives and make a difference in the world today. Um, so we're going to go back, though, first because I like history. How many of y'all like history? I know Cheryl's not going to raise her hand because she told me yesterday. Okay, so I like history, and I like to think about things that I probably would have been uh, if I wasn't a nurse, and, and maybe I would have been a history teacher if I would have started like when I was 19 or 20, but I didn't. So we're going to rewind the clock, because I think part of my issue with never really studying Daniel was I didn't really understand the times. When you read Daniel, you see lots of different um, um, types of people and you know and unless you understand what's going on behind the scenes it's sort of like everything gets garbled you know in the mix of all of that so I want to rewind the clock and we're going to go through a little bit of a history class okay so y'all just hold bear with me for a little bit we will get spiritual here in a few minutes as far as scripture goes but this is just history rewinding the clock we're going to go back hundreds of years before Jesus's birth Okay, so remember B.C. goes backwards. So we're going to go to about 920-ish B.C., about 900 years before Christ is born. Israel is divided into two kingdoms. So the 12 tribes of Israel are divided into two kingdoms. We've got the northern kingdom, which is 10 tribes, and they call themselves Israel. And then we've got the two southern kingdoms, which will be called Judah. Then, so there's these two kingdoms going on. Then in about 720 B.C., the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, Israel, they're captured by the Assyrians. And y'all are like, what are the Assyrians, right? How many of y'all are with me on this? Okay, thank you for a few of you raising your hand. Because that's where I was at. I was like, okay, I know I've read this before, but I really need... So I did a lot of research on the Assyrians. And one thing you had to realize about the Assyrians was they were very much... Um, into war. They were known for having war machines, which war machines, if you think back 700 years before Christ, what they were known for was these big, tall towers that were on um, wheels that they would roll up to these huge cities with fortified walls, and, and so they would demand that they surrender. Okay? And if they did not surrender, then they sieged the city. Now, they could still surrender probably fairly soon at the beginning of the siege, and it might have been okay, maybe not. But if they did not, then they would make a testimony of the city. And so they ruled by their massive war machines, and then they also ruled by sheer terror. We talk a lot about the Romans with terror, but the Assyrians had a lot um, more, I think, in some ways than the Romans did. Um, I don't know if I'm going to share this or not. But um, anyways, I do want you to know that the Assyrian um, kingdom was huge. It was massive. Because what they would do was they didn't have to rule over sort of all the kingdom. There was lots of little kingdoms underneath it. And so they would go and they would capture a kingdom. And then when they went to the kingdom beyond that, as they started going, they would have their kingdoms that were under them give them men. And then they would just keep on conquering. So their kingdom literally went from... Libya and Cyprus area all the way over to Iran, north to Armenia, and then down to the Arabian Peninsula. So a large area. 
that they come from. And like I said, they were barbaric. We talk about, I was telling Terry, we talk about um, the um, disciple being flayed. You know, there was a story that I read about them flaying people and then putting the skins on poles or on a pillar, burying people alive. These, these cities that would not submit to their siege. So it was sheer terror. So you've got to understand the Assyrian kingdom, when they came in and they took Israel, it was a big deal. Now, what I find interesting is that they did not take the kingdom Judah because they took everything else, but God wouldn't let them at that time take Judah. So they reigned for a long, long time. And then about 620 B.C., somewhere around there, the Babylonians rose to power. Now, the Babylonians were under the Assyrians, but they finally got tired of it, along with other people, of the Assyrians being so cruel that the Babylonians you know, were able to, with the help of our friends, you know, go and just um, take over the Assyrian Empire. And it was large, too. I would say it was fairly as large as the um, Assyrian kingdom. Um, Babylon probably um, used a lot of the same kind of techniques. They were very um, fearful. They would have to be, right? Or else somebody else would take them over. But the one thing I found about the Babylon kingdom in all of my research was, yes, they did pagan worship, which the Assyrians didn't do as much. I mean, but Babylon was really into worshiping their gods and priests and all of this. But they were also very brilliant people. They were brilliant in intellect, in art, in architecture, in mathematics, all of these things. So if you look at the city of Babylon at the time, the city of Babylon was built, it was beautiful. It was structurally one of the um, greatest marvels of the time. So we find Babylon rises to power, then about 540 B.C., so we've got Assyria, Babylon, now we're going on to Babylon Falls, only after 80 years. They fall to powers underneath them, and that's the Medes and the Persians, so we talk about the Persians, and then after the Persians, we'll go to the Greeks and then to the Romans. Now, this is all about history, right? Because you've got to get in. Are y'all seeing the picture I'm portraying about the time? This is the time that Daniel lived in, mainly the Babylonian time and the Persian time. But also, in Daniel's time, I want you to be aware of a few other things because I think sometimes there's a disconnect between Bible and what we see happening in history when we read it in school and that kind of thing. But this was also the time period that Confucius, the Chinese philosopher, lived, that Buddha walked the earth, that Aesop, the great storyteller, lived. So you think about this time period, a lot's going on in this time period that Daniel lives. But what we're going to talk about, of course, today is Daniel. So I've created this backdrop picture for you of what the times were in Daniel. So we see that Babylon conquers Judah. Now, Babylon just didn't conquer Judah. God allowed Judah to be given into Babylon's hands. The... Um, Babylonians, when they conquered Judah, they ransacked the temple in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was in Judah. They carry away all the temple treasures. And there's other, one other thing that really talks about what they did. They took away captive young nobles of Jerusalem. Daniel would be one of these young nobles. He was probably about 16 years old. Now, how many of y'all down here are 16 or under? 17? 18. Okay. So, you know, just a couple years younger than these guys. You know, we think they're taken to a foreign land. 
Daniel will serve under two, and this is important, he'll serve under two Babylonian courts, two kings. He'll serve under King Nebuchadnezzar, and he'll, sing, he'll serve under King Belshazzar. Then he will also serve under two Persian courts. He'll, see, he'll serve sorry, under King Darius and also under King Cyrus. So I've sort of laid a foundation of the backdrop. And so when I was doing this the other day, all of a sudden I was like, okay, now where does the scripture come in when you're talking about the whole book of Daniel? Well, Terry would kill me if I wanted to read the whole book of Daniel. So I compromised. And I said, we'll just read the first chapter. So Jenny has offered, wherever she's at, to come and read the first chapter for me. And I want you to hear, because this sets the tone of the four characteristics I'm going to talk about. All right, this is Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, and Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, the Lord, uh, fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, uh, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom... And understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thank you, Jenny. 
So the first characteristic I want to look at today that's significant, not only looking at Daniel's life, but how we can apply it to our own lives, is Daniel's faithfulness. King, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a dummy, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar had outsmarted the Assyrians. So he had the decision made to bring the brightest and the best that Jerusalem had to offer to to Babylon. Why? Why did he feel the need? Well, I told you it goes back to he was very much into, they, they were very much into intellect, art. So Daniel was one of these that was taken in the first wave um, to Babylon from his country. Daniel arrives to the king's palace, and the king offers them his food. Well, you would think that that would be like an honor. You know, I really never really thought too much about, you know, and Terry will tell you, I sort of see things and some things just go over my head like this, you know. So you've got to hit me in the right corner of my brain for me to really catch on to some things. But I was really like, what's the big deal about the food anyways? You know, <laughs> you know. Um, granted, I know that they were Jewish, you know, but I mean, I was thinking about that today, you know, us, if we were taken and put somewhere, what would be the big thing about changing our diet? What would, you know, we've been to India, you know, we've been to many places that, you know, the diet is different than ours. The big thing about them changing the diet, the underlying thing, underlying thing that you need to re- realize about this was this was the first step for them to lose their Jewish identification. This was a re-identifying process. You know, sort of strip them away, chip away at who they are being Jewish boys and make them more into Babylonian people, you know, into their lifestyle. Fit them, funneled them into their lifestyle. And one of the ways, a, a, a smidgen of the way they did it was just, okay, you're captive, you're in your captive's palace, and they're just going to feed you the food that they're eating. It was the food the king was eating himself. It wasn't necessarily that it might have been a bad food unless it was something that they were prohibited from eating. But Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar did a wise thing, getting Daniel right because Daniel was very wise. Daniel was faithful though. Daniel saw behind underneath here what it was going to start to do. It was going to erode the foundation. It was just one of those little things that was going to erode the foundation for his faithfulness to God. And so he made a stand. He's like, nope, I'm going to be faithful to my God. And one way I know I can be faithful is through the food. And so he went and he um, offered himself up and petitioned the guard and said, please, let us have our food. Now, if you want to go back to how, yes, King Nebuchadnezzar was very wise, those kind of things, he could be also very terrorizing because what the guard is very fearful of his head. He's like, really, if I give you fruits and vegetables? Now, you can't tell me, or vegetables, you can't tell me that the palace didn't have great vegetables, Right? But he's like, if I just give you something besides what the king has said, he could have my head. And, of course, Daniel encourages him to um, test them. And we find out at the end, as Jenny read, that that the test was successful, that they were better in appearance. They were also fatter, which I don't know that I ever get fatter when I do a Daniel fast. Not at all. 
Um, they found favor in the eye of the court. And not only did, did, did that occur, you think they found favor in the eye of the court. But not only that, but God found favor in Daniel because of his faithfulness and his colleagues. And it said God put his seal of approval on Daniel's faithfulness. And because he put his seal of approval, they found that him and his companions to be ten times better than all the enchanters and magicians in the entire kingdom. What also that shows me is that maybe some of those other boys that came from Judah, he may have been, maybe they didn't take the stand. It doesn't say, but it makes you wonder if they were even ten times wiser than them for making the stand. But all of this occurred because of Daniel's faithfulness to God. What I see today occurring in our world is that Satan is trying to pull out our brightest and most gifted, starting in elementary school and kindergarten. If it's not there, it's TV and social media, just that little bit of chipping away. And I was trying to think of another story besides Daniel where we could see an erosion happening but starting out with minute things and I did find it um, because it brought me to tears and so I'm going to read a diary of Anne Frank now um, what I want to show you in here is the chipping away that occurs to where eventually huge things are there when it starts out at something tiny she says after After May 1940, the good times were few and far between. First there was the war, then the capitulation, and then the arrival of the Germans, which is when the trouble started for the Jews. Our freedom was severely restricted by a series of anti-Jewish decrees. Jews were required to wear a yellow star. Jews were required to turn in their bicycles. Jews were forbidden to use streetcars. Jews were forbidden to ride in cars, even their own. Jews were required to do their shopping between 3 and 5 p.m. Jews were required to frequent only Jewish-owned barber and barber shops and beauty parlors. Jews were forbidden to be out in the streets between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. Jews were forbidden to attend theaters, movies, or any other form of entertainment. Jews were forbidden to use swimming pools, tennis courts, hockey fields, or any other athletic fields. Jews were forbidden to go rowing. Jews were forbidden to take part in any athletic activity in public. Jews were forbidden to sit in their gardens or those of their friends after 8 p.m. Jews were forbidden to visit Christians in their homes. Jews were required to attend Jewish schools, etc. You can't do this and you can't do that, but life went on. Why did I read this to you? I want to show you a prime example of how easy it is to let little things chip away. I'm sure when they started wearing a yellow star, it didn't seem like much. And then it was just layered on. And I love the fact that Daniel was wise enough to realize it wasn't just about the food. It was an underlying theme that Nebuchadnezzar and them were wise enough to try to instill so that they would lose their entire identity. But Daniel was faithful enough and faithful to God. And so he was able to combat that. My second point is Daniel was prayerful. We see in Daniel 6, 3, that about 60 years has passed. This sort of little bit 
I, I know Brenda and I were talking, this sort of is a little jolting to me. Because when I read this passage, you have to realize Daniel's now in his 80s. 80s is, sorry for those of y'all that are 80, but you know, we think 80 is old, right? But Daniel's in his 80s. He's not a young man, but he's still favored. And we see in Daniel 6, 3 through 4, well, in Daniel 6, that this is going to be the story about Daniel in the lion's den. For some reason, I always thought Daniel in the lion's den was this 25-year-old man who's rebellious that, you know, that is like, yes, I'm all in. 20-year-olds do that all the time. We have no concept of the future. Yes, I'm going to dive in. When we get a little older, we start knowing that there's consequences to our actions. And so it just jolted me when, when you again realize Daniel was 80 years old. He had, was now serving under his third king, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now King Darius. He's a government official. He's well thought of by everybody around him. But there are those that are jealous. Aren't there always those that are jealous? Don't you hate the ones that are jealous? They concoct a plan. They base their plan. This is what's interesting about the story. They base their plan knowing what the outcome is because they know Daniel so well because Daniel has made himself known so well. Are y'all following what I'm about to say? They knew that Daniel prayed. They knew he prayed. So it was a no-brainer for them is, okay, we just have to figure out how we want to word this thing, how we want to slide this thing in there, how we want to manipulate this thing, his praying to our advantage. And so that's exactly what they do. Y'all know the story. They go to King Darius and, oh, great, mighty king, you know, make an edict, you know, that nobody can pray to anybody but you. Because in the back of their mind, they're like, because Daniel's going to pray to somebody but you, you know. And, of course, that's exactly what happens. And what I love about it, it says, this did not stop Daniel. Daniel was not taken surprised by this edict. He didn't say, oh, man, I didn't know the king had made this edict. I think if I read it correctly, it says he understood the edict was made, and then he went to pray. Mm -hmm. This shows me that this was his life. This was not just a daily, oh, I think I'm going to pray today. This was his life. He was a prayerful man. Can you imagine what would happen today if the world knew our leaders were men of prayer? I can tell you an example. I thought about this morning. I thought, you know, Vice President Pence, why does he get such flack? Because I dare say, you know, he, he takes a stand more than anybody else has. What would happen to us at work, in our family, if we were known to have a characteristic of prayerfulness in our life? Not just, oh, I know they can pray sometimes. Oh, not, they just pray at the food table. But, you know, people at work come into you and say, hey, I know you're a person of prayer and I really need prayer today. 
I've had that happen. And then I've had times that it's not happened, and it probably should have. Because maybe that day I just wasn't portraying what I needed to portray. Sorry, I'm human. Doesn't make it right. We have been given so much in our society. I know that people don't think we have been, but we have. When you look at Iran and these countries out there that have no freedom to be able to pray. You know, I just cried when um, I heard the Belko story about the, Cro- the Croatian guy, you know, saying that the, that the leader had to tell them which day they could, pr- they could meet because the, um, he knew, you know, God told him, meet Tuesday, but don't meet Thursday. You know, and when they would look outside on Thursday, there was, there was snow prints where the secret police had come. We have to leave a legacy to our children and grandchildren that we are men and women of prayer. I think one of the sad things in my life is that, um, you know, being a, a pastor's wife, I go to a lot of pastor's conferences, you know, and you, you hear testimonies, and then you just hear talk, you know. And, and uh, I've not been jealous, but I've also often wished when I hear them saying, well, my grandma prayed for me, or my mom, I remember her praying for me, and I, and I think, you know, I didn't have anybody. I'm sure my mom said a prayer on occasion, but I'm talking the praying that they're daily on your hearts, you know, that they're daily, you're praying for them, not just casually when they're like, hey, I'm sick, can you pray for me, but you're praying for them when they don't ask. And I'm thankful that whether my kids like it and whether my grandkids like it or not, that they're not ever going to have to say, I didn't have that legacy because they've got a mom that prays for them. And I think that if I would encourage you today, it's to, to be a person of prayer. This world is going downhill quickly. Of course, I'm sure Daniel thought the world was going downhill quickly back when he was taken to Babylon. We need to pray. My third point goes into we need to be bold. I'm going to go over, I'm looking at the clock. Hey, I just have two more points. I got till two o'clock. No. Um, Two more points. My third one is boldness. We have to be bold. There's three little stories I want to paraphrase in here. I encourage you to read Daniel this week. There, there is no way that I could put in all the little areas that you're going to see these characters portrayed in his life unless you read it and you ask God to pull out nuggets. We'll see in Daniel 2 his boldness in full effect. The short version is King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He calls in all of his wise people and he says, I've had a dream. And they're like, okay. He's like, I want you to interpret the dream. And they're like, okay, tell us the dream. And he's like, No. You tell me the dream, and then you tell me the interpretation. Uh, We can't do that. No, you're going to tell me the dream and the interpretation. They're like, no, you tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He's like, no, 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 you're not understanding. You tell me my dream and my interpretation, or I'm going to have you killed. 
So the decree goes out. All the wise men are going to be killed because nobody can tell him the interpretation, much less the dream, because he knows that they can make up whatever interpretation they want once they hear the dream. So Daniel gets word of this, and he asks, well, what, why are we all getting killed? Because he's one of the wise men. And so the um, guard tells him what's going on. So he petitions, Daniel, I love this, Daniel petitions the king to give him time to meet with the king for the interpretation. Tell the king, I want to meet with him to give him the interpretation. After he does this, he goes to the house. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the house. His friends, remember? Fiery furnace. And he tells them, listen, I need for you to pray with me so that I can get the interpretation and the dream. Wait a minute. He already told the king he had the interpretation and the dream. Now he's going and telling his friends, I need for you to pray with me so that I do get the interpretation and the dream. So God does give Daniel the dream and also the interpretation. Then Daniel goes to the captain of the guard who's supposed to go out and kill all these people, right? He's like, hold off, don't kill anybody. I've got the interpretation and the dream. Well, that's pretty bold. You're going to tell him, don't follow the king's instructions, even though he can have you torn limb by limb plus all sorts of other horrific things. You're supposed to listen to me first. But the captain does, and then Daniel boldly goes into King Nebuchadnezzar and gives him the answer, saving not only his life but the others. He wasn't arrogant. He was bold. There is a difference between arrogance and being bold. The second one is when King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and he asks Daniel to interpret. And Daniel gets the interpretation, and it says Daniel is dismayed and alarmed because of what he was seeing God show him. And I, I love the fact that the king tells him, don't be afraid to give me the interpretation. And so Daniel does give him the interpretation. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not want to give a king who's known for killing people an interpretation to tell him, okay, just so you're aware you're going to lose your mind for seven years and you're going to like lose your kingdom and you're going to be like an animal in the wild and you're going to have long hair and long claws and no not oh and I forgot that you're going to eat grass (laughs) you know not what you would want to tell a king except for having the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit The third one was when King Nebuchadnezzar's son was on the throne. King Belshazzar has done the great um, wrong, one of many, I'm sure, of having a great feast, praising gods of gold, silver, bronze, wood, and stone. And what does he use? He uses the items from God's temple out of Jerusalem. And, of course, God sees that, not pleased at all. And so all of a sudden, the king's sitting there with all of his feast, and he looks over, and there's an actual hand writing on the wall. Says the king was scared out of his mind. Says his color changed. I can only imagine. His thoughts were alarming. I can only imagine. His limbs gave way, yes, and his knees knocked. I can only imagine. So he called everybody to him, 
all of his enchanters, wise men, and they all came, and he said, I want you to read what's been written on the wall, and nobody could do it. And so his, the queen says, you know what? There was a man, a man named Daniel, that told your father certain things and interpreted some of your father's dreams. Let's call him. So they called Daniel in, and Daniel boldly tells the king, boldly tells the king, listen, king, your days are numbered. God has found you wanting, and your kingdom's going to come to an end. King Belshazzar accepts that word, doesn't try to kill Daniel. In fact, honors him with what he had said, which was he would give him high position. And that night, King Belshazzar actually will be killed. We live in a day and a time that is calling for us to be bold. I think that um, this is one thing I find the church lacking today. But I love what Pastor Terry's been talking about by my spirit. Because if we ever are going to achieve that boldness, I am not a bold person. But through the Holy Spirit, I can be as bold as bold can get. You know, I'm not a bold person, but when I know the Lord says something, I've said, you can threaten me all day long, but when I know that the Lord has said something, I am not backing down. You might as well just give up even trying to convince me that what I know is, is not so, because it is. And Terry can tell you that. The fourth one, steadfast. Daniel was steadfast. Daniel was stable and committed. He didn't go this way or that way, depending on what the crowd or the politicians or this group or that group was saying. He was stable. He was constant. He was the same. How do you think he survived four years or four different rulers in two different kingdoms? Some people would say, man, he was slick. No, no. I think that he was a man of integrity and excellence. And any king said, I'd be a fool not to have him in my court. In fact, we see that he was promoted within both empires, not just the one. He was constantly being promoted. And I believe that that is because of his steadfastness in being stable, committed, having integrity and excellence. He didn't just win the lottery. It was because of that. He was steadfast in his faithfulness to God. He was steadfast in his prayer life, remember? They knew he was going to pray. It wasn't like they had to guess. He was steadfast in staying strong to his convictions, steadfast in his integrity. I tell you, integrity is so important nowadays. It's so important. Young people, if you... The word says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Steadfast and being trustworthy. Trustworthy is so important. I want to close with this. The theme this year is we are entrusted with a treasure, and God has entrusted each of us with a treasure. He's entrusted us with this generation, and he's entrusted us with the legacy we're going to leave to the next generation. Just like Daniel yeah, Daniel was appointed for such a time like that, but if anything else, Daniel was appointed so that we could read about him today and gain wisdom from his life. Because how do we stand unless we look at a 16-year-old boy taken captive 
that was scared to death, I'm sure. I don't care if you're with your friends. If you're taken to a country far away, you would be scared to death. And yet to be able to make stands because you are faithful to your God. So I want to end with three different points. I want to talk to each of you guys. For you teenagers, your journey is just starting. You have many years to come, God willing, to show yourself faithful, prayerful, bold, and steadfast. I hate to say this, and I don't want you to be afraid, but I want you to be aware. Hard times are going to be coming, and you need to be prepared so that when they do, that you can have the, the stableness that Daniel had. You need to know. You need to work now. Do those things doesn't mean you don't have fun. I'm sure Daniel had tons of fun. But it means underlying there was this, this knowledge of who God was that was a foundation and a principle to his life, that nobody could shake it. And you need to make that a cornerstone to your life now that you can build on. For those of you in your 20s and 40s, where are you? I see the world trying to entice you to compromise your character. You're going to have to make, if you haven't already made, some tough decisions. You're going to have to stand up to some tests that are being sent your way. Because they are on on the way. For those of you with children, this was one thing that struck me so true. Nothing's ever said about Daniel's parents. One thing I've gleaned from life and from the scriptures is that Daniel knew about God because someone had taught him about God. Moms and dads, your children's are the your children are the next generation, and it's gonna get tougher. How can you expect them to withstand like Daniel if they don't have parents to pour truth into them like Daniel did? Daniel had parents that taught him the absolutes. They taught him the absolutes enough that when the food was offered, he saw it for what it was, the slow erosion of his basic belief system. The only defense the future generation is going to have is to know the Lord. And for those of us that are 50 and older, We look back on our life and we look at things we would have changed. And we can't change them. But what I love about the story of Daniel is that it wasn't the end of the road and it's not the end of the road for us. You see, Daniel was still making his mark in the 80s. And he was solid about still praying even though he was going to be thrown into that lion's den. He didn't apologize. And yet he was thrown. Because he was thrown and because he was stable and steadfast throughout his life. He was thrown into a lion's den where God was able to be great, and show himself sovereign 
and a king's heart was bent toward him. What I love about it is that it talks about King Darius, Darius praying through the night for Daniel, fasting through the night for Daniel. And Daniel was 80 years old. I'm sure Daniel, at that point in his life, is like, what's a lion's den at this point? At 16, I was taken captive. I had to take this long road to Babylon. I've stood before kings that could have killed me in a heartbeat. I've asked the God for an interpretation when I've already told the king I've had the interpretation. I've stood steadfast. What's lines to me? It was just a continuation of his testimony. And those of us that are over 50, we need to realize that God still wants to add stories to our life that's a testimony. Larry, I think of you. This is just a continuation of your story. This is just a continuation of how God's going to move. And you're going to leave a legacy to your daughter and your son of God's faithfulness. Diane, same thing. But we have to look positively, those of us that are 50 and older, because Lord knows our bodies are just wearing out, aren't they? But we need to look positively to each day, expecting God to add to our story of faithfulness. We don't have to say the best years are behind us. But Lord, if I have 15 years, if I have five years, if I have one year left, make it count. Don't let me go out on the downhill. Let me go out on the uphill. Let me leave a legacy for these coming up that could say, man, I didn't have a a mom or dad that prayed for me. But boy, that Larry Johnson, I saw him walk through and God worked through his life. That Rose White, Barrington, I saw her quoting scriptures. You know, I mean, we can still be triumphant and go out on an uphill. We don't have to just assume that the best days are gone. And how do we do that? We be like Daniel. We be faithful. We be prayerful. We be bold when it's called for. And we be steadfast most of all. Because he is worth it. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we conclude? pray. Father, thank you for this word, God, that speaks so deeply to each one of our hearts. God, we need to be the examples in this world today like Daniel was. God, that we are steadfast, that we are bold and we are 
always prayerful. And Lord, that we are faithful. Faithful to you. Faithful to everything that you have entrusted to us. Lord, I'm so grateful this morning, God, that your word is so true and so relevant for today. For right now. Our kids need to hear this. Our our elder adults need to hear this. Everyone needs to hear this, Lord God, and to see the example of Daniel. Because, Lord, it's so easy sometimes to look around in our world today and just give up hope. But, God, Daniel never gave up hope. He never let up. He never gave in to the world around him that was trying to influence him and trying to sway him and trying to put him down, trying to do things against him, betray him. All these things, Lord, he never let them bother him, but always stayed steadfast in his belief in you. Lord, help us to be like Daniel. God, steadfast, always believing you, always praying about everything believing in you with a boldness, Lord God, that is beyond ourselves. Father, we're just so grateful today that you are with us in everything that we face in this life. And Lord, that we can be like Daniel today because of your spirit that dwells within us and empowers us. Bless your people today as they go from this place. Bring us back tonight, God, for a great uh, time of just looking at what you've done over this past year. And, and God, all the great things that you have in store for us for 2020. Lord, we thank you and thank you so much for all the women in this, in this church, Lord God, and the, the ministries that they do and the things that they, they have accomplished, Lord God, and all the ladies, how they serve and they give and they, they teach and they train and they instruct and take places of, of position, Lord God, where, where men maybe don't even step up, Lord. They, they stand in that gap, Lord. I thank you for all the ladies of this church and all that they mean to us. Lord, just bless them now on this WM day. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you've spoken to us today now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll tune in next week for another great sermon from Grace Point Assembly of God.